Hello and welcome to the Troubled Podcast. My name is Emma and I'm the newest member of the Troubled Team. Hello everyone. I'm a survivor of the Troubled Teen Industry myself and I also have a master's degree in social work. So I'm just going to keep that intro short and sweet because I am very excited to tell you that this episode is a special edition of our Hashtag Justice for Cornelius series and we are trying something a little bit different today. We're going to be sharing an anonymous submission from one of our survivor brothers about his experience at Lakeside Academy around 20 years ago. Names have been changed to protect identity. This is going to be the first installment of our Letters from Lakeside series, and we are hoping more audience members would like to share their stories. If you have experience with Lakeside Academy for Children and would like to share your story with Troubled, please email thetroubledpodcast at gmail.com or give us a call at 469-708-7859. Please note, unless otherwise specified, anything you do share with us may be used on the podcast. So we're asking folks to change names and any other identifying information to protect other survivors who may be mentioned in your stories. So you can record your own audio or share something written with us and we would be happy to have one of our talented voice actors read your story for our audience if you uh, don't want to record it yourself. All right, so without further ado, I present to you the first installment of our Letters from Lakeside series, Trash School. It's been roughly 20 years, so slight details may be off. Sorry if there's a lot of rambling. I was sent to Lakeside in 1999, I think, and discharged in 2001. If it's important, my crime was truancy. I had skipped all of 7th grade and had been put on probation for 8th, which I didn't attend either. It was, is a trash school that we'll never see mentioned outside of Eminem lyrics and local criminal news. All that skipping saw me into the youth home. It wasn't so bad, really. Kids in lockup were nicer than kids on the outs. They got my jokes. I was a model prisoner, but the referee needed to make an example. So when they could no longer legally hold me, they transferred me to Lakeside. Some kids in Lakeside are put there by their own parents, and there's a no-chase policy for them. I didn't have that status, or I would have ran. Not because it was awful for me, I just never felt I needed to be there. Before I get to life in Lakeside, I want to note that I've never once heard about a kid who decided to stay in school because he heard about the example made out of me. That ref wasted the opportunity he stole at my expense. After a three-hour car ride with my PO, we rolled into Lakeside. It looks pleasant, a long driveway through a heavily wooded stretch of land, and the trees clear on your right to show a big soccer field set into a shallow valley. The little school kind of overlaps the field up ahead, and past that is the White House, admin. The kitchen, where Cornelius is pictured in the news, is in the White House. Pretty sure, at least. It's been a while, so they may move things around a lot. Facing the White House, to your right, is the school. Units A1, violent. A2, sex stuff. B1, boys under a certain age. And B2, girls. To your left, and up a hill, is the duplex, for people who are incongruent, or waiting for a room in A1 or A2. Beyond the White House, and down a hill, is the titular lake. I don't know if it has a name. The golf course on the other side of the lake probably had a name for it. My unit was divided into yet more units. 
North unit, single rooms. South unit, roommates. And West unit, quiet rooms. Only James stayed in the West unit on a permanent basis. He's probably the only reason they put in bed frames. Everyone starts in North. The rooms were eggshell painted sheetrock with institution carpet and a sturdy wooden desk and bed frame with a real mattress. It was a nice step up from the plastic pillow on a stone altar I'd grown accustomed to, so no complaints. The food was a step down, though. Breakfast was sugared corn, lunch was great by comparison, and dinner was eclectic. Maybe you'd get a sandwich, maybe you'd get reheated lunch from yesterday. For my situation, that's not a big deal. But remember, some of these kids have parents who are paying a lot of money to keep them here. I'd heard rumors of what they charged the state per kid. I can't even imagine what they're charging the parents of someone like Josh. Routines generally consisted of three to four hours of some kind of exercise or sport spread throughout the day. Group therapy that usually ended up with someone in a PRT. Watching the same four VHS tapes every day. U.S. Marshals, The Chinese Connection, Enter the Dragon, and Tommy Boy playing pool with a broomstick because Trenton broke one of the real sticks over Karen's head, lifting weights, fighting over who can lift more, and getting everyone banned from the rec room for the week, sitting in timeout, sitting in your room and shouting conversations through the walls, fighting over arguments that started during quiet time, screaming, watch your boundaries, you watch your fucking boundaries, back and forth at each other. Basically regular life, but nobody can go home, and they're all taking designer drugs. How does one get out of Lakeside? Well, it's tricky. If you're not up for adoption or waiting for your parents to discharge you, you need to convince a doctor that you're cured. What you're cured of and what constitutes a cure is up for debate. While I was held, Lakeside used a card system from red to white to blue with increasing privilege as you moved up. You got a card of your color each day that you had to carry around and get marked periodically. Losing your card was essentially a zero. It took weeks of perfect scores to climb up, and you could lose all progress in an instant. The exact same system they'd used in the youth home I'd just left, but with a blue card. Like all the mental homes and whatnot, I liked the kids inside better than the ones outside. With no conflict from inmates and the staff distracted by loud kids, I moved through the card system easily. The problem is, I hadn't given the shrink something to fix. Some half-dead crone with shoulder pads had to have some breakthrough with me. While she was looking for who knows what, my dad, brother, and sister died. The circumstances of their death, it's more than likely I could have prevented it if I'd been home. The days I'm not blaming myself for not being there, I blame the state for keeping me away. One nice cherry was that the staff knew about it, and waited until the next day to tell me. I wasn't going to give that quack the pleasure of curing my grief, so I packed it down. The shrink didn't push the matter, likely just waiting for some manifestation of grief. She ended up getting it three months later. Some essay about self-esteem I'd turned in had mentioned shooting up a school. It was a reference to the girl who hated Monday, but that was lost on them because a few days later, Columbine happened. Admittedly, I wasn't broken up and acting upset like the other kids. Everyone's panic over something they couldn't change seemed funny to me. My hot take on the matter, combined with the essay, got me expelled from off-ground school, and my stay extended. I wasn't even set to be released, but they told me I had to stay longer. 
At least Herr Doktor finally had something to fix. Humor got me out in the end. I learned to be so sarcastic that it sounds sincere. It's a lot easier than lying, and I only had to put on the act for a few minutes or so. You say something written on the wall while smiling, that's all there was to it. Smiling was easy because it was a joke. Saying things that were written on the wall was even easier because of all the posters. Read one that was behind her head once, and she looked so proud. A bunch of months of that shit, and I got sent home to half my family. With no high school credit, a Ziploc bag of toiletries, and a script for Risperdal. Did I learn my lesson? I don't know. I barely went to school still. Bounced in and out of the youth home a few more times until I made an attempted suicide right before a probation meeting. Shit worked, man. P.O. pretty much discharged me on the spot. Then I broke out of Harbor Oaks that night before they could finish the paperwork to admit me, and for the first time in, like, forever, I was free. It took a while for that fact to sink in. Here's what I learned from Lakeside Academy. Grape Fago is the way to go for improvised alcohol, and almost everything in the anarchist cookbook is a lie. The main difference between freedom and captivity is a matter of degrees. Everyone who hasn't tested where the wall is thinks they're free. In reality, they're on blue card. You can fool the cheap plastic thermometers by rubbing your tongue really hard. Use different parts of your tongue as you work at it or the blood will give you away and cause you to lose friction. M&M Minis containers can hold six slims or five kings and float in a toilet tank. The most important thing I learned is the conclusion I always reach when I ask myself, what gives them the right? My crime was not devoting a third of my days to something I didn't need. There's no moral imperative to attend school. I wasn't obligated. I didn't owe them my time. Is it their degrees and certificates that give them the right to steal you? That can't be, because I've seen how easy psych courses are. Inevitably, I decide that their might makes them right. They have an implied threat of force so overwhelming, and nobody targeted has anything comparable, that they can just do whatever they want. I hate to use they so much, but the system is so nebulous. There's little distinction between public and private interests. It's simply humanity distilled and flavored for a strange palate, but it's easier to say they. Every type of lockup has a type of quiet room. It's the one they take you to and give you the needle. West Unit was sort of a quiet unit. Two almost as bad as youth home rooms, and a legit quiet room. It was sometimes called the James Unit. James was very angry and spent a lot of time in seclusion. Josh was a gangly kid with an egghead full of chess and math. Dude was brilliant. He claimed his mom and dad were both in Mensa, but I think that was a lie. If both of his parents were as smart as all that, they would know Mensa is a scam. It doesn't matter who his parents were. He was a genius. I played him in countless games of chess, and maybe won a fifth of them. Against other opponents, he would leave his queen or his knights on the side and not even use them. Not a lot of people were willing to play with him. I generally don't mind failure, though, so he was stuck with me. Josh escaped one night, and man, did it piss off the staff. He was not a ward of the state, so it had to be treated like a missing persons case instead of a manhunt. They were convinced it was me who'd unscrewed the hallway light switch and disabled the motion detectors, 
like Josh couldn't figure that out himself. Besides, I'd put tape over the electric eye weeks ago, so I would have known the security was disabled already. Could have saved him the trouble taking out those screws if he'd bothered to ask me, but whatever. I couldn't contain my amusement while they were grilling me. That got me dumped into West Unit for a couple weeks. Also, after the staff got the sand out of their collective pussy over Josh escaping, I got to leave the James Unit and was assigned a room in North, until one day I got sent to my room and found a hole in the wall to my neighbor's room. Meet Jordan, roommate one and a half. It took a crazy long time for them to notice this hole, which was large enough to install a mini-fridge in. When they finally did find it, Jordan immediately took the wrap, and I backed his story that it had only happened a few hours ago, which saved me from taking heat over not snitching for a week. Thanks, Jordan. That was a bro move. Anyways, with Jordan and James and West and two rooms up for repair, I got to go back to South Unit. My new roommate was Lamar. With a solid 20 in charisma and lots of hair gel, he was undoubtedly cooler than anyone else around him. He was one of the few that were never in a fist fight, and it's not because he looked like he could fight. Lamar was just likable, and possibly a sociopath, I don't know, just never trusted people who smile easy. Lamar was in off-ground school, too, and evaded the post-Columbine risk assessment. Quiet time began after on-ground school ended, which was coordinated for receiving off-ground students, so I was in my room when Lamar came in to give me the news. Lamar bragged a lot that he was a ladies' man, and half of it was believable, so when he showed me his bloody boxers, I knew it wasn't some desperate ploy for credibility. The next day he came back from school early, and was already in the room when I was sent in for quiet time. He said he was in deep shit over the girl, but wasn't very specific. The staff were grim, and pressed me to tell them anything he told me. Lamar went to a different facility for a while. He came back for a few days to be reprocessed. He said he'd been adopted. The word was he coerced a 14-year-old girl, possibly by force, but the word in places like that can be unreliable. Always wanted to find out what happened, if there was a trial, if he was guilty. <laughs>